Hey everyone, welcome to the Underdog Podcast, um, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. My name is Cyrus Smith. I'm joined with me is Jarrett. Hey, how's it going, everyone? First time. What a three years in the making. What a what a blast to finally do this. <laughs> exactly. Finally, finally, finally. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking Conference USA football today. Um, that's it specifically. The uh, position rankings that me and Jared so gracefully helped um, contribute his two articles into. <laughs> hey, don't don't uh, don't downsize this. You know, I was, <laughs> I was giving a lot of feedback, editing help. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're gonna talk about the uh, position rankings. I'm um, pretty much and um, Jared. How about you start things off since I mainly contributed it, and then you know. You kind of gave me your feedback. What were you thinking as far as how things um, turned out with the overall uh, review of the rankings? You know, overall, I think they mostly shaped out how I expected them to. Um, Old Dominion was obviously a big surprise to everyone. I, uh, I think both of us are a bit higher on Old Dominion as a program than most Conference USA fans. But I don't think either of us expected them to like easily take first place honors. So that's the big storyline for me. Um and that's, I mean, everything else pretty much shaked out the way I expected it to. You know, the teams that I expected to have down seasons were down from historically where we would expect them to be ranked at. And the teams that are kind of surging, uh, like, you know, UTSA was in third place, you know, so I, I think that kind of ended up about as I expected. But it was very, very interesting uh, on a granular level to see how the positions ranking shaked out. Um, there's a few schools that have like a historical. Uh, perception of certain position units and uh, some of them ended up quite a bit different than I expected to so I I thought that was the most interesting thing is just looking at the actual positions the overall rankings kind of shaped out how I expected them to yeah the um, overall rankings more or less aside from like you said Old Dominion and then the surprise with um, North Texas being so more or less Mm -hmm. shaped out the way um, how I thought you know it's funny looking back on you know how the rankings position themselves and how UTSA has come so far from like Larry Coker and how you know bad the road runners road runners were and then now you know according to you know the rankings done they're like the third best talented team in conference USA you know it shows mm-hmm. just a good a job Frank Wilson has done mm-hmm. but um as far as the overall you know the group of the league it's you know it's funny how the conference has really gotten better but the floor is still pretty bad yeah, and that's just the way Conference USA is constructed. You know, when they went after those big market teams that didn't have that built-in history that some of the Sunbelt teams, some of the Sunbelt editions had, um, I, I think we all knew that Conference USA was going to be a very volatile conference, and they're making steps to improve that. You know, uh, I think you see that with Charlotte a lot. You know, Charlotte finished second to last in our ranking, uh, but their on-field product improved greatly past season, and we're all expecting it to step up again this year. But, you know, it's it's still not where it needs to be, and no no one can deny that. Yeah, yeah, there's still there's still a wide gap between Charlotte and the top of the league. Um, as far as UAB, you know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But even with Price and UTEP, how bad they were last year, I mean, the bottom of the league is still has a long ways to go to reach to the top. Mm-hmm. But um, but enough about that. Let's get into the breakdown of each position. Um. To, to get our thoughts on us, we can explain more about what did you think about the quarterbacks and how, how we thought. Usually, Conference USA has a huge crop of quarterbacks. And this year, we only really had two bona fide studs at the position. Yeah, it's a huge down year for the position at Conference USA. There might be some guys that are kind of lower on the radar that might, you know, 
step up their game and someone like Hassan Klug, Adalton Sturm, someone like that, I think could end up being a really, really solid quarterback this year. Uh, but there's no slam dunks. You know, once you get past Stockstill and White, eh, it's, a, it's a little sketchy. You know, you have guys that have experience, but inconsistency. Uh, and then you have guys that have a lot of talent, but not a lot of experience. Someone like Jamar Smith at Louisiana Tech. So that was the big takeaway for me is, you know, maybe the conference is not going to be great this year just because there's no, like, sure shot at quarterback at the most position, important position in sports. And I think that would that's what adds to a lot of the intrigue in Conference USA, too, with, mm-hmm. um, you know, we really don't know who's going to be that next stud, uh, that next star, being that Stockstill is, you know, an upperclassman and then White, this is a senior, this is last year. We really don't know who's that next it guy at quarterback is going to be for the league um jamar smith has the potential uh chase Litton sure looked like he could be that guy when he was a freshman but he kind of tailed off last year as well as the performance mm-hmm. from and then you know we had hassan clue who really came out of nowhere um for charlotte last year and you know now it's about him improving his mechanics and see how he can develop more as a passer just the um you know out of the teams in the will see category from the quarterback position and just to go back that was north texas UTEP, Southern Miss, Old Dominion, Rice, and UAB. Um, which one do you think would be the the, be- the surest bet to climb into the good shape or great shape as we head into the season? Oh man, that's tough. So, I, Old Dominion maybe, and the only reason I I throw that one out there is just because the rest of their offense is in such great shape that there's not going to be a ton of pressure. Uh, you know, if Blake Lurisa gets a spot like I'm expecting him to, there's not going to be a ton of pressure on him to throw, you know, uh, 20-yard corner routes and, you know, throw bombs on a fade. Uh, you know, they'll be able to move the, the sticks pretty easily. Um, so I would probably pick that one. Ryan Metz at Utah improved greatly from his freshman to sophomore season. As a UTSA fan, I painfully saw that up close and personal. <laughs> I think he threw five four or five picks against UTSA his freshman year, and then, of course, ended up coming to San Antonio the next season and beating UTSA in a five-overtime just debacle. So I I think Mets is going to be a lot better. I just don't think he's, like, the high ceiling that someone like a a White at Western Kentucky or a Stockstill at Middle Tennessee has. But those are the two I'm most comfortable with. I think I really, really think um, like Mason Fine um, over at North Texas. Um, I know he's undersized, and I know that we made fun of his size in our Slack room about how short he really, (laughs) much he weighs and everything. But um, I think last year, you know, he definitely seemed in over his head um, as a true freshman going in there and and trying to grasp that air raid playbook. And I think now, with the year to process to mature, he should be, um, you know much more season to take on the role of the being the face of the North Texas program. Um, and I think the talent there at receiver and running back should be able to elevate him over much more, say like Ryan Metz over in El Paso. Yeah. Um, I'm, like, I'm actually going to go in the total opposite direction as far as UNT goes. Cause I could actually see Mason fine losing the starting job to like Quinn Shabor or even incoming true freshman Cade Pearson. Um, I think Pearson's a really talented quarterback and he's very, very raw. Um, but like we saw Fine step in as a freshman last year, so I, I think Pearson could do just as well as Fine did it in his freshman year, if not better. You know, he has more physical tools, um, and then Quinn Shapur is just a, a very solid hand for them. He's a redshirt junior now, so uh, he's been in the college game for a while. So I, I actually would not be surprised to see Fine get jumped in the depth chart. And you know, he just he always runs the risk of injury, you know, with, with his size. So 
Very true. Yeah, and they just got a second 2018 class quarterback commit today. So that tells me that uh, Seth Luttrell is just not comfortable with the depth of quarterback at all. So I think that's one of the bigger wild cards in the conference as far as the quarterback position goes. All righty. So to, to shift gears, what did you think about the running back position in Conference USA? Um, I was stacked. Blown yeah. away at how how talented the running backs in the league really, really is. And that's after we lost um, Aaron Jones from UTEP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kentucky's guy Furby, like there, there's still yeah. a lot of talent in the in the backfield. Yeah, so I don't know if this is common knowledge yet, but we're working on our first ever underdog dynasty preseason all conference team. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so a little little teaser there. It'll be out around media day time, but <laughs> picking the running backs is hard. And um, I want to say that I put like Ray Lowry as running back one, and then he immediately jumped in. And you're like, no, it's got to be Singletary. And I'm like. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but it's, it's just stacked. You know, even look at teams like Western Kentucky, UTSA, UNT. They're all in that mid-range, the uh, good shape one. But all those guys have at least one running back that's capable of being an all-conference running back. And yes. It's it's mm-hmm. really staggering. And it's amazing about the, you know, we even though we've kind of pivoted towards where we see a lot of wide-open offenses, a lot of teams have multiple running backs that can do damage from mm-hmm. FAU to FIU, Old Dominion. Um, Southern Miss has their one stud, but then you still have George Payne, who's proven that he can be a reliable um, running back should things anything happen to Smith. Louisiana Tech with Kraft and Boston Scott, both efficient ball carriers, even though they don't really evoke in terms of um, you know great highlight reel type of place, but they're solid. They're consistent guys. Right. And I think with, you know, in my opinion, I felt like Jalen Rhodes has the most potential out of the running backs in the, in the good shape group where he can really elevate and towards, um, towards an all conference player. I, I liked him a lot. I actually liked him better than, um, than, uh, uh what's the, Jar- with Williams. Yeah. Williams. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. Williams last year. So I feel like, uh, UTSA has the biggest potential to really vault into the uh, the great shape territory with an all conference back, but you know from looking at the crop of running backs in the league, just about anyone um, can really get there and become an all conference player and not show up on the ballot um, for preseason. Yeah, and I was talking about this with some UTSA fans a couple of weeks ago, but Jalen Rhodes can rush for you know seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred yards this year. Incoming three star freshman running back BJ Daniels can be you know a freshman all-conference player, and they could still only be the fourth best backfield in the conference. You know, there's just so much talent at the position in the conference. But, um, yeah, I like where you two say a lot. I'm a big fan of this Daniels kid. I've talked to a few people that have seen him on campus, you know, since uh, summer school already started, and they're like, you just have no clue he's a freshman when you stand next to him. He looks like a linebacker, first of all, and he looks like he's a junior or senior. So um, a a lot of hope for that guy. What did you think about the uh, the Western Kentucky position, being that they have about three or four guys, or I guess without Quentin Baker, being that he's in that whole um, that mix up with the uh, uh, the, frat the frat party? party. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> gotta stay away from the frats, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what did you think about the depth field, the depth in that backfield, being that a bunch of former All Conference players are coming back from from injury? Yeah, it's hard to to know what to make of it, but you also have to feel confident at least one of these guys is going to have a total return to form, and, you know, they're, they're going to be in a really, really solid shape. Um, I, and I think just the explosiveness of that offense is going to make it really easy for whoever wins that position battle to find open holes, because their defense are going to be so spread out, 
So it'll be easy for them to get to that second and third level and turn a four-yard run into a 10- or 12-yard run just because the defense is going to have to cover so much ground. Okay, so for the offensive line, um, you know, being that that was the position that I kind of deferred your expertise to given your time in the trenches back in the day, Mm -hmm. um, I was really, really surprised that Middle Tennessee State's offensive line really wasn't – you know, ranked near the top. What did you see from that offensive line uh, that made you question whether they'd be um, are near the top before the season starts? Just a lot of holes, man. A lot of holes. Uh, a few guys graduated, and they returned Carlos Johnson and Chandler Brewer, who look like pretty solid players. Um, outside of that, though, man, I mean, they're going to have to have some guys really, really step up. Um, they have a Juco transfer, Eric Golston, coming in that looks like a really good player. But anytime you have to have a Juco guy come in and play immediate starting snaps on your offensive line, it's always a challenge. Excuse me. It's always a challenge. And, you know, they don't, they're not going to have a lot of cohesiveness um, since they're not returning many starters that played next to each other. Um, a lot of times if you have like a center and a guard that were with each other for uh, an extended period of time, they'll have a certain chemistry with them and they'll know which blocks to help out on. And, uh, you know, when they're safe to leave to go pick up a block on a linebacker and stuff like that. So the coaching job there is going to be really important on the offensive line. I don't know the OL coach name off the top of my head. Um, I don't know if he's good or bad. I have no clue. But whoever it is, he's going to have his work cut out for him because he's going to have to build chemistry within his unit. And they're going to have to find guys that can rotate. You know, you always want to be seven or eight deep at the offensive line position. And right now they have like three guys that look like really, really good bets to be quality Conference USA level contributors. Um, So they're going to have to find a lot of bodies really quick that can play at a high level. And given how, you know, how poor we've seen the Blue Raiders perform without Stockstill towards the end of last season, it's of, of um, utmost importance that they, the offensive line gets shored out. Ursa looked decent um, as a, you know, thrusted into action. Um, I think with the years better, hopefully he'll look more seasoned. Um, should he, they ask him to, to step into the, um, to step in front of Stockstill. Uh, should something happen to him, but that's a huge drop off from going from Stockstill to to John. So the offensive line for sure needs to be um, in tip top shape when the season starts. Uh, and it's a huge concern too, because I think Stockstill has had surgery on both of his shoulders by now, and that's one of those things with quarterbacks. You know, you get hit at the wrong angle, land on the turf wrong, um, it just immediately flares up, and you know it, it takes a lot of time for those injuries to heal. Uh, even if you just pop your shoulder out of pocket, if it's your throwing arm, it could take you out for three to four weeks. You know, just straight rest to come back. But um, I mean, that's one hit can change the shape of Middle Tennessee season. We saw it last year, and I, I can see that happening again. It's it's a big concern. What did you think about UTEP and Rice, two teams that's pretty much a consensus of being? Um, ranked near the bottom of the league, having the best offensive lines. I thought that was pretty pretty weird for that to, to see that. It's it's definitely strange. It says a lot about the, the coaching staff that they have for those two programs where they're that talented in the line and they put up so few points on offense. Um, especially when UTEP had Aaron Jones in the backfield last year. I'm still baffled at how they didn't win more games. Um, but yeah, it's very, very unusual. And, you know, both of these teams are going to have you know, a lot on the line, you know, you never want to see your head coach get fired. Um, at least I hope not most of the time. <laughs> so, you know, the offenses are going to have a lot of pressure on them to score points. Um, and it seems like coaches get fired more quickly when they're turning in, you know, six point zero point losses than, you know, if they lose 
36 to 33 or something like that, you know? So um, those offenses have a lot of pressure on them. UTEP has future NFL guard Will Hernandez out there. <laughs> uh, it's going to be crazy to see an offense that we're predicting to be anemically bad have an NFL talent just right there on the line of scrimmage playing every single snap. Yeah, I mean, I you know, not to poke fun at the minors, but they're used to having NFL talents in the backfield mm-hmm. and Jones not doing anything offensively. So hopefully that should change for them. Um, hopefully for Kugler's sake, it, it needs to change. Um, I don't think that he'll be back. I think the Miners actually might take a run at Sonny Dykes, you know, hint, hint for the for the postseason guests or when we do our roundtable. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as new coaches that might be entering the league. Um, just to shift gears here for the – throughout the series, you know, being that I wrote a few and then you wrote a few, what was the hardest position to rank for you um, when uh, contributing for the, the, the series? For me, it was defensive back position. Um, I, was, I think I did, yeah, so I just did the, the lines and the defense back. Uh, but yeah, just thinking about the series before we even started, most schools I had like a certain idea of like which teams would probably be in that top shape. Um, with the defensive backs, I really had no clue how it was going to shape out. And there were just so many teams that could have ended up in the we'll see. You know, I didn't want to put 10 teams in the we'll see position. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just a lot of programs lost some really, really talented uh, guys in the secondary. So it, it was tough, especially because we combined cornerbacks and safeties together. So it made it a yeah. little bit tougher to grade because some schools were in great shape at cornerback and terrible at safety, vice versa. Uh, so that one was definitely, definitely a tough call for me. Um, for me, it was just looking at the tight end position. Um, there's yeah. so much flux in today's game with who's a tight end and who's a wide receiver. Um, but in Conference USA, I mean, besides Ryan Yurchek or Yurchek, there's really not a lot of consistent pass catchers um, that are considered tight ends by the respective offenses. Julian Allen at Southern Miss, he was solid, but he wasn't really featured in the offense as much as you'd like to see a lot of production from him. But that might not necessarily mean he's not a good tight end or he's not um, one of the best tight ends in the conference. It's just that... They don't throw him the ball as much because they don't feature him a part of the offense. You know, it's hard to get, it was really hard to gauge who was good, um, who was poor, and then who just doesn't really care for the right receiver position. I believe I pay, placed about, let's see, one, two, four, five, seven teams in the we'll see position because I didn't know who is a tight end and, and who's not a tight end. Um, FIU lost uh, a stud in Janu Smith, and then they lost another player, um, AJ Brandisil. Um, in the offseason, who just left the team. But other than that, in the we'll see section, Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee, North Texas, they really didn't pass to any tight ends or any, or even incorporate any tight ends into their offense last year. You know, it was really hard to gauge um, that position. And even the teams that I did give them a break and give them the good shape category, such as like FAU with Nate Terry, he's been switching from tight end to wide receiver throughout his career. So that one was just a really uh, a position that's in a lot of flux as far as I'm um, trying to evaluate it. Yeah, and especially because some of the best tight ends, they don't have production as some of those flex guys that play both positions. So it's really, really tough to judge. And then it comes into play. I mean, can you even put a team highly if they don't throw to the tight end, if he's just an extra blocker? You know, like, not a lot of offensive systems value the dual threat as much as others. So it's it's definitely a tough call. Right. And when you say blocker, like, I incorporated... um. Dominion's tight end Melvin Vaughn because he's actually a great blocking tight end it's just that we can't you know now that 
tight ends and wide receivers are in positions like that are, are mostly valued in the eyes of um, the audience as pass catchers or how much touchdowns and receptions that they've received and made, then, um, you know, it's hard to evaluate, all right, Melvin Vaughn is a really great third in inches, third and short blocking tight end where he can pave the way and for um, Lowry to get the first down. You know, it's hard to evaluate that on paper as far as, or the impact of that. There's no stat for it. Yeah. That's besides it's, it's like the tight ends of today or the fullbacks of 30 years ago. You know, they're kind yeah. of like role players. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very, very few teams feature a tight end as like a prominent um, fixture in their offense. Yep, yep, yep. Agree. Completely agree with that. So for in the ranking, uh, which team were you mostly surprised by? Uh, probably Louisiana Tech. You know, I had a pretty positive reception of Old Dominion's talent. I knew they brought back most of the team. So I knew they would finish pretty high, um, but losing a tech came in at, at fifth, and I figured they would be like top three for sure. You know, they've recruited so, so well there, um, p- putting guys in the league every year. And I think they still have a lot of talent. It's just unproven talent, so it was really hard for us to like give total benefit of the doubt. Um, it, you see that with Jamar Smith. Like, the kid is super talented, uh, but he's only played in a handful of games. And obviously the Arkansas road game won him a lot of respect. But um, mm-hmm. you just really look at the position of development of quarterback for Louisiana Tech. And, um, you know, th- that's something I gave them a lot of benefit for. But I still was surprised to see them not finish in that top three. For me, I think it was um, seeing North Texas really that low um, as the, the 11th most talented team in the league, uh, you know, with Seth Luttrell and Frank Wilson both coming into the league and both to the prominent Texas schools in the conference, you know, I compare, me personally, I compare both of them um, a lot to see how successful UTSA and UNT are doing. Mm-hmm. And UTSA seems to be um, eons ahead of where North Texas is at talent-wise, even though both incorporated, um, you know, messy programs at the time. Or not, I wouldn't say messy, but definitely rebuilds at the right. time and and it seems like South Luttrell he, he really had um a, a much worse worser program to inherit than the Roadrunners and I didn't really think that would be the case and that would pan out after last season but it shows just how great a coaching job he did turning that team to five and seven and then knowing now going into this season that there still might be a year or two away from really getting to talent to where they needed it to be at in order to compete for the, the division crown. Yeah, and that kind of ties in with the next question that we were going to go over. Uh, which do you, which team do you see overperforming their ranking the most? And I, I picked UNT there because I feel like Seth Luttrell is a great game planner. Um, I think he's a good play caller as well. Um, really stuck out to me in the UTSA-UNT game last year. Uh, UNT was getting walloped pretty hard by UTSA, and then they came out at halftime, and Mason Fine immediately ran for like a 75-yard touchdown just right up the gut. It was a perfect call, you know, just split the linebackers and ran straight ahead full steam. Um, so I have a lot of faith in Seth Luttrell to keep UNT in games against more talented opponents. I really think he's going to get the most out of his squad. Um, wasn't very happy with the recruiting class he brought in. I think that's still problematic. Uh, but if that recruiting class is better, then I would be much more bullish on UNT's chances to compete for a Western Division title. Uh, but nonetheless, I still think they're going to be a really tough team for every team that faces them. Uh, they'll be a tough out. And, you know, I think the, the best days are still ahead of them. 
And I, I think that's kind of the program that Latrell is building is that they're going to outscheme you more than they're going to outperform you athletically. I think UNT is definitely a, a nice candidate to outperform their rankings here. Um, I also actually kind of really like uh, Louisiana Tech to outperform. Just like you mentioned before, they're, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that we just don't know whether they're going to be um, dynamite or not. And we're just kind of more or less giving them the doubt at some mm-hmm. positions. But I really think Louisiana Tech has a, a really huge season in store ahead of them. I really like Jamar Smith a lot. I think the the veteran presence that with the, um, Boston Scott in the backfield, Jared Kraft, and I think really what we're going to see is a much improved defense um, from the uh, the Bulldogs, similar to what we saw um, two years ago, three years ago with Manny Diaz running the team. Um, even though Diaz, you know, great great defensive coordinator and is doing his thing at Miami right now, but I really think that their their, their defensive line is going to stand out. Yep. Um, with the uh, the Bulldogs, especially in the Conference USA, where there's not a, too many guaranteed conference um, offensive lines that are um, expected to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I keep coming down to the fact that, you know, UTSA and La Tech are the two favorites to compete for the, that title in the West. Uh, but the game's going to be in Ruston. So I think that's going to play a big factor. Yep, yep, yep. Um... I would also say don't sleep on Southern Miss. Um, I know that you're kind of low on them, but yeah. I, I think that the Golden Eagles are going to really surprise a lot of teams, just like how they surprised Kentucky last year um, in the opener before um, hitting a bit of a rough, rough patch um, during conference mm-hmm. play. Um, I think now with Monk or not Munkin, um, Hobson settled in. Yeah, I think he. I think with uh, a, the full year to kind of install his principles. And um, having the adjustment from the, the FCF staff that he brought over to what the FBS level of play is, I think that they should be a lot better. Um, will they be near the top uh, of the conference? I don't. I wouldn't go that far, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't count them out for the division race just yet. They could be really, really um, good as far as eight and four range or seven and five. Yeah, I still don't think they're going to be near as good as they were last year. But considering we have them ranked ninth in the conference, I think they can certainly outperform that with like a fifth or a sixth place finish. Absolutely agree. Now, which team do you see underperforming? Oh, man, I, I'm going to have to hit a hot take right here. I apologize in advance. I guess it's the first one we've done on this uh, Conference USA podcast. <laughs> uh, but I think Western Kentucky is going to disappoint this season. I think they'll still be a solid, solid team. Uh, but... There's so much expectation on them, and they're so hyped up. Um, you know, they've replaced a lot of talent, um, especially on the defensive end, you know, and obviously new coach coming in. So I could really see Western Kentucky falling down, you know, maybe finishing at like a fifth place finish, uh, whereas we have them ranked number two in the talent ranking. So that would probably be my pick, but then I could also look like a total idiot and, you know, they just yeah. storm through the conference. Fifth place, that's a bit low. I would be completely surprised if they were to finish fifth. Um, I I do agree. I'm selling on the tops this year. I don't think they're going to be that great. Um, I'm seeing a lot of predictions from a lot of media outlets thinking that they're going to be um, they're going to win the East again, and I just don't see that being the case. Or f- seeing them finish second, I think they were finished maybe around third or fourth. Yeah. Um, but for me, I you know not to again uh, to hit, you know. To uh, beleaguer the miners again, but I do oh, not no. <laughs> this year. I think they're going to be really, really bad. Um, I didn't like the 
the Brent Pease hire for offense coordinator last year and seeing what the offense looked like. Um, granted that they had um, injury at quarterback, but I'm just not seeing a lot from the Miners this year. I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the in the country. And I think that Kugler is out. Kugs is done. There's there's no way the the minor faithful will be showing up in the Sun Bowl this year. It's impossible to dream up a, an offensive identity for UTEP. I mean, I, just, I have no clue what they're going to look like without Aaron Jones. They don't have a dynamic quarterback. They have practically no talent at wide receiver. I mean, I just I can't imagine them scoring. You know over 21 a game on average it's just hard for me to fathom and you know what's really you know sad about the situation going down there in UTEP is like at least for Rice they've been recruiting extremely well this year Mm -hmm. that you can kind of see maybe you know maybe we're kind of undervaluing the job that Bailiff is doing and perhaps that there's a light at the end of the tunnel where the Owls kind of can maybe scrap you know scratch out four five wins but for the Miners I'm just not seeing it not in the in Cooler's tenure at all where he's actually elevated the talent on the roster. We just haven't seen that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think whoever gets the rice job after Bailiff is going to be in a really, really great spot. You know, uh, before I started really following Conference USA closely, I had this perception of Rice as being impossible to recruit to. Academic standards were too high, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But really, I've really changed my tune on that i i've seen now how much academics plays into recruiting um at this lower level of play you know it's kind of laughed off at the p5s but i think in the g5 it does make a difference um i, I think the academic quality of your degree that you get at rice uh vastly outweighs like my own alma mater at utsa or you know someone like unt you know typical rice recruiting rivalries um so I think they have really good talent on their roster, especially along the offensive line. So I think if you hand that to a, uh, an up-and-coming coach, I think they'll be able to get the job done. So I think they'll be really appreciative of what they inherit once that day comes. Yep, uh, I agree. Um, even though I do feel like UTEP might end up potentially making the better hire, Sonny Dykes, hint, hint, mm. Sonny Dykes. <laughs> um, I do think that Rice's future is um, much brighter than UTEP in, in the coming years. Um, no matter if Bailiff is unable to turn the seat, um, you know, the, this program around or not, they've just been recruiting at a much better level than the minors. And given that on this current roster, even though you know through the position um, rankings, UTEP is ranked higher than Rice, I just feel like UTEP is going to rank lower than even the Blazers this year. I feel like they're going to be the worst team in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, that's. Um, how do you, how would you like to close this, Jared? <laughs> oh man. Um, okay. Let's let's close it with a hypothetical. Let's say okay. that you're you're an up and coming coach. Let's say you're a power five assistant coach at a at a high quality program, and you get this UTEP job. How would you come in and change the program and try to get a competitive edge? Um, I I feel like UTEP's uh, situation as a program changed so vastly once UNT moved up to Conference USA, UTSA started football, Texas State moved up to FBS. I feel like that really shifted the recruiting ability. So what would you do to counteract that if you went into that program? I feel like if I was the head coach of the minors, um, I've always believed that they should really be recruiting California extremely hard. Um, you know, the the area that surrounds them, West Texas isn't as fertile a recruiting ground as Central Texas or the DM, um, not DMV, I always say DMV, DFW area. And um, they should just really focus on California and mine the JUCO ranks as well. 
And the non-Texans listening to this might not realize that El Paso actually is closer to California than a lot of Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to go from Houston to El Paso is at least 10 hours, maybe more than that. And so you can't do like an unofficial visit to El Paso. If you're in Lubbock or Midland, maybe, but the rest of the state, you have to like spend a whole weekend there. I mean, you, you lose a day just driving alone. So it's I, tough for them to get kids to just come see campus. And it's crazy because I remember that that Texas, it was a Texas journalist. Someone had tweeted something on Twitter of how many Texans have actually been to El Paso. And I believe mm-hmm. the poll ended up being like less than 5% yeah. of Texas residents actually going to that part of Texas. Yeah, absolutely. That's- and that just explains how hard it is to recruit talent. Even though UTEP is actually in Texas, it's really not in Texas. And that's strange. And El Paso is a great city. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things as far as fan support, um, very passionate mi- minor fan base. There's a lot of good to be in that program. But I think that in order for it to be successful, they have to recruit California, um, Nevada, that area, the, the the four corner states, and then focus on the junior college route. Yeah, so I would go in the direction of mirroring uh, like what uh, New Mexico has done recently, what Wyoming is doing right now, and I would just kind of turn offensive uh, standards on their head. I would go to more of a ground and pound game. Uh, you know, UTEP currently runs like the little pro style spread or or whatever Brent Pease likes to call it. Um, and they're, they're kind of like, you know, half-assing two things at once. So I would really focus on, you know, double tight formations. Uh, I would get the toughest kids I can find and bring them in. Uh, I think it fits the program culture well to do that. Like, I, I can't see an air raid ever working in El Paso. Um, don't really know why. It's just kind of programs have those think, historical contexts, you know. <laughs> I think it could be done. I think that they'll be able to... Uh... I think they could be pulling out. I just feel like they just need to be different, though. Exactly. Um, they have to have some unique gimmick. No matter what direction they go in, they have to differentiate themselves some way. And they have to be hard to game plan for, too. I think it's a big thing. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. All right. So to wrap things up here, um, you can follow Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, at Underdog Dynasty. Like us on Facebook. For whatever reason, we have a strong presence on Twitter, but our Facebook numbers are kind of in. Oh, um, man. <laughs> it, it broke my heart. I logged into the Facebook this week and it said, you received no new likes this week. And I'm like, come on, man. We're cool. What's up? <laughs> so please yeah, so, like us on Facebook. We actually get, we get graded on that stuff. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really do. Please like us. <laughs> on <Facebook. laughs> we're not one to beg, but we're totally begging right now. It's okay. You can follow myself um, at CoolSciWrites on Twitter. Um, and then you can follow Jared who's much cooler than me on Twitter. He's had so many followers. I'm at UTSA Jared. No, it's at Jared UTSA. Oh, there we go. You can edit that. No, or I guess you <laughs> no, can I'll leave it in. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'll be it from us two guys. Roll Blazers. Roll Blazers.